0: welcome to the hilton effect podcast series this year marks hilton's 100th anniversary and the hilton effect as the authors define it is the positive world-altering impact that hilton has had and continues to have on billions of lives and thousands of communities around the globe At the heart of Hilton's success story are the thousands of dedicated team members who care deeply about providing the best hospitality experiences for guests across Hilton's thousands of hotels. I'm Yolanda Brown, and in this series, I will be interviewing inspirational team members from across Hilton's hotels and offices in Europe, Middle East and Africa to find out the secrets behind the award-winning Hilton teams and learn what motivates those team members to lead the way in hospitality for the next century. In this episode, I am joined by two very special guests from London Hilton on Park Lane, an icon of British hospitality since 1963, when it was the first Hilton Hotel to be opened in the UK. With me, I have executive chef Anthony Marshall and maitre d' of the famous Galvin at Windows restaurant on the 28th floor, Fed Sirex, someone who you might also recognise as the star of many of our much-loved TV shows. Welcome to our podcast. How are you? I'm very, very good. It's great to have
1: you. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here with this icon, Fred, as well.
0: Exactly that. that pleasure's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mutual respect here in the Most studio. Most definitely. And it's lovely, actually. As I was reading, to see, you know, cheers and high fives. You're really feel like part of the Hilton family, don't oh, you? Oh,
1: definitely. Well, to be honest, I've been working for the company nearly 28 years. This year would be my 29th year. Wow, congratulations. When considering most people gave me a year, so I'm not doing too bad. You
0: really like it that much. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the people they that They call me listening. the
1: Teflon
2: Don.
0: Oh, I like what you did Nothing sticks there. on me. Nothing sticks, yeah. That's We're going to have a lot of kitchen puns in this, in this series. <laughs> <Sorry
2: about that. laughs> I'm a bit more of a spring chicken because I've only been working for Hilton for 13 years. So, oh, uh, yeah. goodness. Yes. Show your it? age, chef. You yeah. know? Show your
0: age, chef, yeah. But it's good innings. And I, I just want you to sort of say to our listeners, what exactly does your role entail?
1: Uh, my role entails at the London Hilton is sometimes you've, you have to be the uh, the father, the godfather, the terminator, the lover, and you have so many things rolled into one. And I don't say this being facetiously because nowadays the chef has got so many more things to do to, he's got to look after the payroll, he's got to look after this, he's got to cost control. He's, you know, there's so many more. It's not just about cooking anymore. Obviously, as you go up, the higher you go up, the more you get away from the cooking, which is the bit that I love. Do you and miss it? Being, oh, when we're doing our new dishes and one thing or another, we're creating new things for banqueting – I'm very much involved, and that's what I really love. I mean, you know, I love people coming in and telling me all their stories or one thing or another.
0: Of course, of course. And as executive chef, what does that role mean to you?
1: Um, I think at the end of the day, what it means to me was, right, I'm proud to work at the London Hilton. I'm very dedicated, and I love what I do. And the most important thing is I love the people I work with. Um, so, So you want to have your family surrounded by you. So, you know, you have to go through the good bits, the bad bits.
2: You know, you have to take the whole package together.
0: Absolutely. And Fred, tell us about your role. What does your day to day include?
2: Well, I'm the general manager at Galvina Windows. So, uh, really my role is to create, uh, the atmosphere for our guests. And what we want to do is, is give an amazing experience to each guest. But, uh, as the chef was alluding here, I mean, we are running a business. So, um, it's about the guest experience. And of course it's delivering a profitable business because without the profit, you know, we cannot stay in business. And we have a huge team up there on the 28th floor. We have uh, 80 staff, um, which is divided about 25 chefs, we have about 40 staff in the restaurant and about 15 in the, in the bar. So it's quite a huge operation to run. But at the end of the day, what it's about, is about the guest experience and delivering that amazing experience day in, day out.
0: Fantastic. And you've spoken a lot about teams, you know. Um, on the You're surface... only as good as your team. Well, you're only as good as your team. I and mean, I mean, surface... I mean that
1: sincerely because there's an old cliche thing. People go, oh, you're only as good as your team. But it is, you know, when you're doing... Sometimes 12,000 covers a week. Mm. You know, you can't cook everything yourself. You've got to have great people. But also, having said that, you've got to direct them in the right way. Well, this is it. So you're like the captain of the ship. You've got to miss the icebergs and hit the point of... nor return. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> Hit
0: the destination. And, and people on the surface, they might think that, you know, executive chef deals solely with, you know, dreaming up incredible food. Um, similarly, maitre d' solely committed to the customers and the service, but actually... Both people have to be responsible for nurturing. Well and building we do create
1: amazing things. I mean Fred does a fantastic job upstairs with his team mm. and we do a different thing. And what's quite nice working in the London Hilton Park Lane, a lot of times when you have different mission style restaurant or this different restaurant, there's like the A team, the B team. But we're not like that. We're a unit. Oh,
0: that's you know what I mean?
1: So when we have to help each other, you know, we're always there for each other. And I mean that and anybody that works at the London Hilton will confirm that, that is a fact.
0: I want you to just cast your minds back now, rewind, rewind. Um, I want to talk about how you got to where you are today. So, um, Fred, tell me about your first ever job in the industry. Where did it all start?
2: Well, it all started really with my parents. My parents were both nurses in a local hospital working for the French NHS. And my dad was always really talking about and dedicated to great patient care because for him it was all about the patient and the experience of the patient and making sure that they feel great while while they're in hospital, you know, in the intensive care unit where he was working. And he was always talking to me about... The work that he was doing and for him what was important. It was the quality of the care, uh, but also working as a team to deliver that. And when you think about restaurant and customer service, it's exactly the same thing. So this is where I got my inspiration from, because at the end of the day, service is much more than just service it's about hospitality. And it's about the bonds that, that, that we share with people and that we create It's about making people feel special. And uh, I did a catering college when I was 16. I stayed there for four years. So I studied four years to be a waiter, uh, which seems incredible for some people. Fantastic, yes. But this is what I did. And um, at the time, I was in um, the third best school in France. And I think that's important because if you are with the best, it just rubs off. You know, if you play chess with people who are very bad at chess, you're not going to be very good. If you play chess with the great people, you're very good. That's what it's about. (laughs) Um, And my first job in London was in 1992. I was working at the then Tante Claire on Royal Hospital Road, uh, which was a two Michelin star. This is the, the restaurant So,
0: from catering school straight to a Michelin star restaurant.
2: Yes, because in my catering college, we were trained to be part of the Premier League of of Restaurants. I couldn't imagine myself in a lower division. I had to do the best because who can do the most can do the least. So I started there and the industry is very incestuous. And if you do well somewhere, you do well anywhere. And all you have to do is just pick up the phone. You don't even send your CV You send your, you give a call to people and you just say, look, I was working there or here and and that's it, you get a job. So for me, it was always about working with the best, doing the best and always working my way up because I wanted to be the general manager one day and this is what I wanted to to achieve.
0: So you always saw yourself in this position. That was always the destination. You could see yourself getting there.
2: Yes, and, and I've always enjoyed my job. But every time I went up a step on the ladder, I enjoy my job more. And, and I enjoy being a waiter. I enjoy being a head waiter. I enjoy being an assistant manager. But now overseeing the whole operation and running a business this side is just a, a dream come true.
0: Brilliant. And we kind of get to see a little bit of what your job must be like from the television shows that you do, and you can feel, even hearing you speak now, the passion uh, that comes through about the care and the hospitality that you give. As you were coming through those ranks, was there anyone that you were looking up to, um, sort of a mentor that you you worked with or saw?
2: Many people every time I work with um, great people you know um, I, I always look up to them I was working at Le Gavroche with Silvano Giraldin who was uh, the godfather who was a don of service working with Michel Roux Jr who's such a kind kind man I can't tell you how kind this man is and how professional and dedicated he is I worked with a chap called George Perendez or Sartoria, who was uh, the roguest operator you can ever imagine. But he taught me so much about the art of briefing and how one can train his team and work with people who really are not this trained or this good at their job, but how you can make them into fantastic players. And that's the key, Chef, isn't it? Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, at the end of the day, like Fred says, I have heard this saying before, <laughs> you, if you play a good chess player, you become uh, better yourself. <laughs> But I think it's very true. You know, if you work with the best, you've got to become good. You know, and if you get bad habits when you're younger, it's like, you know, when you're Training to be a boxer,
2: and um you know, uh, running a restaurant and, and 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 being a chef like 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 the chef is, you know, you it, it it's a bit like the art of war. I mean, when you run a restaurant and and the service starts, it's like a battle. It's like fighting in a ring. You know, yeah. there is nowhere to hide anymore, and you have to be prepared before the battle so that when you go into the battle, you're You've ready. Got your armor is, and ready. you're there yes. to win. Yes, you absolutely. cannot lose. You've got to but deliver we are fighting them
1: with love,
0: well, and passion, love, and good. There food. is no
1: blood or gore downstairs. <laughs> the kitchens of the London Hilton. <laughs> I'm not sure what Fred does. You're stealing my lines. <laughs> <laughs> it seems yeah. that
0: you both have the same approach, which is great. You know
1: why? Because we're both passionate. And at yes. the end, most people would think you don't want to be a sandwich between Fred and myself. Because Absolutely both strong people were passionate in what we believe yeah. in and we've got a direction where we want to be and where our staff want to be we want to make sure that our banqueting for 1200 people is as good as any restaurant you go to and that's what I believe that we're good at
0: absolutely now cast your mind back Anthony how did well, the journey it's start years, yeah, did, to tell we're you, going it's back. a long journey <laughs> we've got time when we've I got was, time <laughs> did you always see yourself working as a chef
1: uh, well shall I tell you was right how I started was right my parents owned restaurants ah. in Hampstead in the Flast Walk, uh, which was a quite well-known area that period of time. And I was only about seven. But, you know, people say, well, did the flavors and the smell get to you? You know, and I should say, yeah, of course they yeah. did, you know, because the smell I can still smell my Dad cooking. Well, actually, he burnt a lot of things. So <laughs> if that was the case, I'm not sure I would have gone on the journey. And my mother was the careers manager for the borough of Ealing and when I was 14 I wanted to be a chef that's all I ever wanted to be I wasn't the most academic person I was always getting trouble at school she said why don't you go and see Victor Cesarani who is a very famous person at that period of time unfortunately he's died and he said you know what you need to ring a uh, five star hotel and see if you can get in there so my mum rang everywhere she got through to the Dorchester at that time a, a gentleman called Eugene Kofler was the chef of the Dorchester Hotel And uh, they said, but the chef's in a very bad mood, which I don't know why, because chefs are always very happy people. Chefs are always in a good mood, aren't they? Very (laughs) happy people. But obviously, even from those days, they've still got that stigma. So I went along (laughs) to see him, and uh, he said to me, yeah, okay, no problem. So I started there, and after the two weeks I was there, uh, I said, listen, I've got to go back to school. And he said to me, oh, yes, but, you know, I started when I was God knows whatever age. And he said, as soon as you finish school, if you want to come and work here at 16 – Um, You've got a job there. And I couldn't wait. And what my fortune was is while I was there, they had 200 chefs in those days, was right, okay? We spoke probably doing a third of the covers that we're doing, which makes you laugh. But Anton Moselman took over, and he was in those days like Tony Moselman. I mean, now he's the great Anton Moselman. And he came as the premier sous chef, and then took him, and then he became the chef. Uh-huh. And he changed everything in the way of the catering. He was one of the first sort of celebrity chefs. And I entered a lot of competitions with him. So we are very competition-minded at London too. Oh, I see. So, and then I won the ACITB travel scholarship. So I went to St. I worked at the Hotel de Paris, which is in France. And I worked in Spain in the Villa Magna and the Paseo de Castellana, which I learned Spanish as well. Anyway, so then I did uh, four years there. I then came back, and then I was the right-hand man of the Savoy, and uh, then I went to the Langham, cut a long story short, bits yes, and pieces yes. like that. And I was there six years, and then they took me to uh, Park Lane, Hilton.
0: And so did you ever see yourself in that position? Was there always a goal to get up to? Because you were speaking that you do less cooking now.
1: I just love what I do.
0: It's good.
1: I love the people that I work for and the people that work for me. And I think that's the most important thing was, right, because when I when you're spending 12 hours a day... You don't want to be working with people you don't like because twelve hours is a it's bloody a long, long time. time.
0: Yes, sometimes
1: yeah. I see my premier sous chef more than I see my family. Yes, you know what I mean. So yes. if I don't like him, can you imagine? You know?
0: Absolutely. And when you've both been speaking about your journeys, you've spoken about sort of someone that has helped you up or given you that advice. Do you feel that now you're doing that for the next generation? Yeah, most up? definitely.
1: Because as you get older, you get wiser. And it is true. You know what I mean? It, because the mistakes I'm, I've got two sons one's 21, one's 25. And I say, listen, you need to, oh, yeah, but dad, you don't understand. I've been there. You know, yeah. when you've done that, when my son was, he finished university, he had fantastic grades. He couldn't get a job, was right, okay? And I was frantic. And he was getting depressed at home. And, you know, he got great grades, but he only wanted to work for blue chip companies. I said to him, Andrew, you've got to change. Oh, no, so I said, you know what? You're going to come and work for me. Oh, so we got the door slamming this <laughs> down. And he worked in our banqueting, you know, and it changed. Uh-huh. He wasn't getting, and all of a sudden, my mother died on the 10th of October. And I don't want to get emotional here. Yeah. And his last job, and he'd been to so many for nearly, nearly a year he'd been going, and he'd been doing lots of different other bits and pieces. I said to him, listen, yeah. Nanny's going to look after you. Maybe. You're going to get this job. And he got the job. So you know what it's you know just a nice end for me. It doesn't matter the grades and everything you get. It's, it's making the right
0: contacts and finding someone. It's the perseverance would like him. He
1: kept going on and going on until yeah. eventually he, he's you know working in a great
2: place. Fantastic. Thank God.
0: And did you ever see your career moving over into TV as it has?
2: Um, not really. How did, how did it happen? The first time I was on TV was as a result of the charity work that I do. I um, started a charity called Gavin Chance to help disadvantaged kids get into training, education and full-time employment. And that was picked up by the BBC who did a programme called Michel Roux Service. And then, you know, it's just like everything, you know, in television or in restaurant, if you do a good job and you get on with people and they like you, then whenever there is a new project, they consider you, they think about you and then you end up doing it.
0: And you do more and more and more.
2: That's the way it goes.
0: Well, we're loving it. We're watching and loving. Now, these are the, the great things, that wonderful journey. As you're in your position now and sort of throughout your career, has there ever been something that wasn't going right or a hurdle that you had to overcome? And how did you manage to do that and turn it around for success?
1: How do we rectify things when we go wrong? Mm. The thing is was right, okay, we're doing a big tasting for the craft guild of chefs, which is every top chef is coming to it. We drill these things down so there aren't any problems. You can't be doing a thousand covers and play at it. It doesn't work. So if you don't practice, practice makes perfect So you
0: have run throughs of these So we
1: all our dishes are practice, because also we're looking at profit as well. So when somebody says, oh, shall we put another lemon or something? That's a thousand lemons.
0: That's very true. You know,
1: let's have one raspberry. Like a client said to me, oh, can I have two more raspberries? It's not two more raspberries. That's 2000 raspberries. So to be honest, in all the time I've been there, we don't have that many things that have gone wrong on big numbers because you can't afford to. Sure. Because in the old days, when I was cooking myself, if it went wrong, I could push the guy out and do it myself now when you're doing a thousand you can't push like 12 guys out of the way because you're there well, by of yourself course.
0: so you have to make sure that your so, team is well trained. Yeah, and, and that's why we
1: have meetings in the morning we have a meeting in the afternoon we have a friday meeting and we have a banquet meeting you know big hotels have lots of meetings but some of them are very important and the ones that we have in our department are because we need to deliver
0: and then, through your journey, was there ever a point you both have had this goal. I know where I want to go. Has there ever been a point on that journey where you thought maybe this isn't right for me. I thought this I've is never what I love that That's I, brilliant. I love
1: what I did, yeah, uh, and I like to be in charge. You know what I mean,
0: and so, with those sort of high pressure situations and they they could come thick and fast sometimes on, on in one evening, how do you stay motivated, stay upbeat, and keep the team sort of together because this is
2: what you do, this is what you are. <laughs> there is no pressure. In this podcast is more pressure than actually <laughs> running galvino windows. I thought it was a
0: lovely, ah. relaxed atmosphere. I've been you know, used
2: to this. Imagine me. <laughs> so Imagine what so, so then through.
0: what we see sometimes, you know, especially on television, especially with kitchens, where it can be quite a high-pressured situation, does that not happen?
1: I think sometimes TV gives a false view of what kitchen life is about. Yes. Sometimes they show the bad bits of people throwing plates one thing. And I listen, some of the guys that work for me, I wouldn't want to throw a plate at them because I know I'd get it (laughs) back. They're a lot bigger, a lot younger. So that's kind of, you know, at the end of the day was right. Is it disciplined? Yes, it is disciplined. Because men like discipline. When you've got a big team working for you, you can't somebody say, oh, chef, what should we do that? You know what? I'm, I'm not sure. What do you think? Nobody's yes, going to work for something yes, like that. Yes. So even when, you know, I have to meet 30 clients, I go in and say, we're going to do it. And I go back to the team and say, look, we're going to do this thing. They go, how are we going to do it? I say, I'm not sure, but we're going to do it. So you've got to have belief in yourself and then follow it through to your troops. Because if you're a strong leader mm. but if you're always looking strong like that your staff want to be with you and when you're dealing with a big team they don't want a weak leader yeah. and it goes all the way through so if I'm doing 10 hours or 12 hours a day they can't come to me and say listen I'm going but the goal is making people work smart I don't believe in this work, work.
0: smart not hard that's exactly with, yeah. yeah that's right yeah. you know
1: a lot of places have like a, oh you know when I work to the Savoy it's like oh I did 100 hours why are you doing 100 hours why can't you organise yourself to be smarter rather than like a headless chicken? I run over there, I mm. run back.
2: Yeah, but in um, the old days, it was a badge of honour, wasn't it? You yeah, you're right. And they go, you're oh, like the you know, I did
1: 101. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of them in those days used to sleep in the lockers. I just think, oh, my God, <laughs> why are you doing that?
0: Yes, you know. yeah. So would, what would be one of your most memorable experiences that you've had at Hilton?
2: You know, one of the most memorable probably was when we hosted the Olympics in 2012 because we were the Olympic Hotel. And it was quite extraordinary to be right in the middle of the Olympics with all the officials staying there. Um, the sportsmen and women uh, were coming to the hotel and eating. It was just, just fantastic. We really felt like we were part of London. And we both went to the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I've I'm to say. I always remember Kenneth Branagh, you know, reciting the Tempest there. And I just put myself in his shoes, you know, reciting, remembering all these words. I thought myself, would been I been would mined. do a hash of a job <laughs> if it was me. Because, you
1: know, the thing is, was, right, okay, we never big ourselves up in this country. And, you know, 12 years ago, as Fred said, we were chosen at the Olympic Hotel. And it was a very proud moment for us. Mm. And obviously, we got the chances to go to the opening. And you know, first of all, you saw these sheep and you thought, oh, here we go. Then all of a sudden they all moved and these chimney right. stacks came flying. You thought, oh it's my God. It's a wonderful
0: story, London. And
1: at the end of the day, it was right. Okay, it went so quick, I thought, I want more. It was just so good.
0: Yes, yes. And we were
1: lucky to go to the closing. I don't know if Fred did as well. I went to the closing as well. And they were the two things that I already remember really vividly. Yeah. And my other time was when I had to meet the Queen. Uh, Which was great. It said our general manager at that time kept jumping in the middle of the picture. So all you just see is a corner of my eye bowing (laughs) to her. And I've never forgiven him for that. (laughs) That's what I remember. Oh, beautiful. And I would have had a lovely picture if somebody hadn't buggered it up. (laughs)
0: It's in your memory. It's in your memory. (laughs) (laughs) And you've spoken a little bit about competitors in the hospitality industry. What is it that sets Hilton apart from the others, Fred?
2: I think it's the fact that we don't stand still, you know, it's always about innovating, about creating something new and and, and about being there for the guest and creating an experience that unique and that's amazing. Because it's one thing to be good today, but what about tomorrow? And we've got to be one step ahead. And I love Conrad Hilton's vision about sharing the light and warmth of hospitality. I mean, that is brilliant, you know. And and I think that's what's carried this company for the last hundred years. It's just very clever. And it's just exactly what we should be doing as human beings.
0: And thinking about the next hundred years continuously. Very
2: good. I'm
1: not sure I'll be here for the next hundred years. But what (laughs)
2: I would say is...
1: And that is the great thing when you're working for hotels or a company like us, not a small restaurant. Hotels can give you so much. They can send you on so many training courses. You know, I've just been to Dubai to do 100 years there. You know, you get to travel. You know, hotels have got more money because we How did you
2: get that, that invite? I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get that uh, yeah, invite. What?
1: Maybe because I can cook, Fred.
2: Um, <laughs> maybe because I didn't delete, I should have, well, should I I have deleted
1: have the email. <laughs> like, okay, listen, after doing 15 hours a day to 17 hours a day for a week, these people said to me, What was the well like? I went, I never saw it.
0: <laughs> well deserved. And in terms of your work, what would you say you're most proud of, Anthony? I think
1: one of the one of the things that I was most proud of when I won the KT's, um for what are the
0: Katies for us the to Katies
1: define? is a bit like the Cunnery Olympics okay you know you go to these awards and they go um and they made a bit of a mistake and then they went, oh, blah, blah. And then I thought, oh, God, that guy's won it, you know. And then they went, oh, no, it's Anthony Marshall. No. Anyway, so I was so excited. And you're not allowed to talk on stage. Yeah. You're supposed to go up and get, you're not like the Oscars. Anyway, I have to bugger it, that. Yeah. So I grabbed the mic. I said, listen, I just want to thank the table over there, which was my team because without them, I wouldn't be here. And as I came back, they all rushed me oh. and my bronze thing flew in the air and snapped into nine oh, pieces. No. So that's why I remember Katie. Katie's and but what it was nice is was the industry has chosen you to win that. So you, that means you're a chef that's bigger than 250-cover yeah. hotel. they tipping
0: the chef's hat to you and saying, well done.
1: Well, I'd like them to put some money in here, actually, just not tipping <laughs> it. Well.
0: And it's great, actually, what you say about your team. Even though the gong was broken, there is an actual family Yeah, you know, you know I don't it. want
1: to go on about the team, but, you know, people need to realise, no, you know, you're important. nothing. With, you know, it's so hard to find a chef, honestly,
0: seriously. Yeah, you know, yeah. Fred will tell you. Of course, of course. Well, Hilton is a great culture to be a part of. What would be your proudest moment, Fred?
2: I think the proudest moment really is to still be in business after 13 years. I mean, we opened the restaurant in May 2006. 13 years later, we're still here. Uh, we're still successful. The restaurant is still making money. Customers are still delighted. And, you know, we, we keep on going. We keep on innovating. And that, for me, is the biggest acclaim, the biggest victory. And uh, long it may continue, really.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now,
2: 13 lucky years.
0: 13 great years. Absolutely.
2: And we are teenagers this year. So <laughs> expect unruly behaviors. Oh, we, yeah. we
0: will be ready and waiting. You know what I mean. <laughs> uh, now, sadly, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I had oh, such no. a. Oh. I know. I've had such. I hope it wasn't too stressful for you. It was. <laughs> um, but seeing so Mr. I,
2: Fred is stressful.
0: <laughs> you both complement each other very well. Um, I want to ask you some some final questions. Sure. Okay, not too hard. Not so too we're difficult.
2: Not quite at the end yet. Not
0: quite at the end. Don't grab your bag just yet. You are both massive foodies. What would you choose as your last ever meal? This is the last thing you're ever going to taste. What will it Not be?
2: oh uh, You know what? Fred. Oysters. I mean, I can have 24, 36 oysters. No problem. Uh, can give you I 36, love oysters. oysters no I definitely would have a steak, a nice, beautiful steak, cooked on my dad's barbecue, and my dad makes (laughs) the best French fries in the world, no matter the season, no matter the potatoes, and no matter how he cooks them. He's chips. Send him down to me. Oh, my God. I'm going to (laughs) show him what a chip looks like.
0: That's. It sounds that's like what heaven. I would Drink. Have. I'll let you have a drink as well. Well, um,
2: me? I mean, I love champagne. If you don't know what to drink, always have champagne. Always but have champagne. I have to say, I love a nice Pelle L. You know, yes. beautifully oppy L. That's fantastic. And if it was red wine, I'd love a nice Bordeaux. I uh, recently had a Palmer seventy-eight. Oh my god, I drank it with Gino da Campo. He could not believe how good it was because you know he's always used to drinking Absolutely. his Gino Vino. Yes, and it really is like petrol. His wine, but that Palmer seventy-eight <laughs> was amazing.
0: Brilliant. Sounds delicious. How about you, Anthony?
1: Well, I haven't got so many famous friends as Fred, but if it was my last meal, is somebody said to me, so what was your last meal? I said it would be Antico uh, Ave Pommes frites. They say, isn't that steak and chips? I said, yes, but it sounds so much better in
2: French. Oh, but if you come does. to my place in France and my dad could waiting for the invite, <laughs> you will see what it's like.
1: Well,
0: I, think, I invite. think we could just have the meal together because it, there is some crossover there, so that's really good.
1: Perfect. Well, you and Fred? Or, uh... All of us. All oh, us, all us. Of we we us, will yeah.
0: recreate this podcast as our I am actually getting minute. left
1: out here. I don't know what's going on. I feel like it's a French
2: show.
0: Now, I know that Thrive is a big initiative at Hilton. Yes, it and, is. And uh, to help Team members feel resilient, focused, optimistic about their work. Tell me, Anthony, how do you thrive?
1: I thrive in looking after our staff. I went on a company thing to Barcelona. Sounds like I'm was travelling. And uh, they had some wonderful guest speakers, absolutely. I felt fully motivated. And I thought, you know what, our canteen's good, but, you know, we need to make it better. Mm -hmm. So I I put in a coffee machine that makes very nice coffee. I do a juice piece with the rehydration juice. It's got low calories. It's very good for rehydrating you. Makes the staff work a bit harder, even better. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we then could change most things in our canteen to all fresh, Yeah nice salads nice one thing or another Uh, obviously we do have chips down there and at the end of the day was right that motivates the staff because when you come in you have a nice meal we were having most probably 25% of our staff going outside to eat which is a bit sad Whereas now, we seem to have in- increase. We've got not only 25% more, but we even seem to have a few more people. Coming back for had, seconds. Yeah, coming back for <laughs> seconds. And I think that is part of the Thrive Effect is looking after your staff. Mm. And I know I keep battering on about the staff, but honestly, good staff is what makes you the difference from one hotel. You know, we're, we're in an old hotel was... And what makes that hotel great is the people in it. Absolutely. And people forget about the surroundings. It's about great service that uh, Fred and his team deliver. It's about great food. And it's the volumes of food that we do that we deliver on a regular basis. We do the most fantastic afternoon tea. Our team downstairs won the professional bake-off. So what happens is a lot of times people think, because you're in a big hotel, you don't have talented people. Believe me. We've got talented people from the top, from Galvin's, all the way
2: down to the bottom, and that's what makes a great hotel. Coming into work, you know, every day, you know, is already exciting for me, and uh, I go and 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 work with people that I really like, that I really enjoy being with. Uh, that in itself is inspiring. And of course, it's about driving the business and always thriving to do better, always looking for the next thing that's going to differentiate us from the others. And um, being with like-minded people, really, this is for me the the key.
0: And you speak about turning up to work is a wonderful thing to be able to do. Can you explain your personal interpretation of the Hilton effect? What effect has it had working at Hilton on your life?
2: Well, it's been fantastic. I mean, everything that we do in life starts from self... And I have to say that the relationship with Hilton for me has been fantastic. Hilton has looked after me. I've looked after Hilton. It's a relationship, uh, but the relationship is based on the people that we are working with. And both Chef and I are very lucky also because we are working with everybody within the organization, from the very top president to everybody who's working in the hotel. And so we really interact with the whole company. And there is a very good heart at the very heart of the company the very heart of the operations and the main thing is we can make things happen so for me for example I know that I have a job description just like the chef but our job description we are writing our job description as we work as we work on a daily basis you know and I think
1: like Fred said what's what's a great thing is when you're at the Park Lane every vice president from all over the world or wherever comes to our hotel Mm. they stay in our hotel we do a Hilton Foundation which last year we raised over half a million pounds and the people at the top are approachable. And I think that's what makes the difference of mm-hmm. people that you're working with that uh, you don't have to say, oh, Mr. Vincent, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's Simon, how are you? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of chit chat. I'm not saying we're sitting down having a long conversation, <laughs> but, you know, he's it's, approachable. And you yeah, can, he's approachable. You can approach. Well, because obviously, don't forget, I've been with the company a long time. Yes. And some of these people I know when they were working in the shooting department, like Fred, when you've been there 13 years, you've a lot seen of these people. people. Rise through, and what yeah. the thing is that we've not a touched on here with our company is, that we promote within as well. Like in our team, when people are doing well, when a position comes up, we like to promote within. And why do we do that? Is because if you just give somebody a job from outside, how do you motivate the people that are already
2: working with you that sometimes are normally better than the ones from the outside?
0: Yes,
1: And I think that's a really important thing to mention. But
2: but you know, at the end of the day, we're all here to do a job. So whether you're the president or the kitchen porter or a waiter or a chef, you need to do a job, you need to perform, you need to deliver. And as chef was talking about before, it's about the team. And we as a team make it so if somebody doesn't deliver we all suffer we,
0: yes, we it, all
2: have to deliver yes. yeah. but we don't have to deliver we have to deliver because we are there and we want to deliver want to. and we enjoy doing what we do we enjoy being with people it's the world of hospitality it's a wonderful career one thing about catering is you've got to think with your head and your hands that's why
1: we do things with prisoners and different bits and pieces like that mm. is people think with their head and their hands we're trying to give something back and we're trying to convert them into you know going on the straight and narrow And that's what's great about Hilton. It gives everybody a chance, you know, and I think uh, that's what we try to do.
0: And how has it affected you personally within your life being at Hilton?
1: I've done something that I really enjoy. People say to me, listen, you know, how do you keep going? I'm there doing as many hours as a lot of people there because I just love what I do. Uh, And the secret of your success to keeping you younger is to having people that want your job because while they want your job, I'm fighting them off. And they're working, they're trying to get it and I'm pushing them back. But with that, it's motivating you. So I can't relax for a minute. So at the end of the day, I'm saying that in a jokey way, but at the end of the day, isn't that great that people want my job because they think it's such a great job? Yeah, yeah. And it is a great job.
0: And it is a great job. I'm going to end on that wonderful, wonderful note. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us and sharing your journey within Hilton. Join us again for the next Hilton podcast when we will be going from the kitchen to the concierge and hearing from the man who is at the centre of the Society of Golden Keys.